and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on Saturday's disappointing defeat at home to Hamilton, Reese Haldane. Reese, are you well? I am. I'm fine. Just wasn't a, a great game at the weekend, but I'm sure we'll have a lot to, to digest on this pod. Jamie McDonald's here. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Like we said, wasn't a great game of football, so we'll get the move. And rounding off our panel is David Forrest. David, how are you? Uh, I'm well. Uh, I went to the Thistle game on Saturday with an old friend. We hadn't been to a Thistle game in a good four or five years. I went to my first sort of adult Thistle game with him, a big football fan. So I was really glad that he got to watch that fucking miserable spectacle. Um, (laughs) I I turned up and started going every week where he went off and supported Celtic. And frankly, karma's a bitch. That's what he gets. So... (laughs) Well, we are back to a full compliment on the pod this week, but sadly the same could not be said of of the starting eleven on Saturday. We were missing Darren Brownlee was out, Brian Graham was out, Scott Tiffany was out, Stevie Lawless was out, Cammy Smith was out, Cole McKinnon didn't make it, and it was a a bench full of kids plus David Mitchell. Reese, when you saw that announced at two o'clock on Saturday, what were you, what were you thinking? Disaster. Um, <laughs> you're, you're missing all of your, your better players, but realistically, you're thinking to yourself, there's probably enough in our starting 11 to do the job over Hamilton Ackies. Um, our bench was a bit of a disaster. It was a full under 18 squad being rewarded off the back of getting pumped 5 1 off Queen of the South in the Reserve League. But I, um, it's not their fault that they had to, to sort of fill the spaces. But I, ideally in this game, when you've seen that line-up, you're thinking to yourself, right, we need to be two or three up here at half-time to sort of have a chance, because when you start chucking on all the young boys, then Hamilton might sniff blood in the water, but it wasn't to be on the day. Um, but in terms of the line-up, I thought it wasn't great, but it's what we had to do, there was no other options. Jamie, do you agree with that? Whether whether no other options, would you have chucked any of the kids on on the bench into the start eleven on Saturday? I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but what were you thinking when the the team was announced? I probably wouldn't have started any of them, to be honest. I mean, I think some of them definitely something about them, like you know, Mackenzie always looks lively when he comes on, and McCall does rate lying pretty highly. But I'd have probably just gone with the lineup that we did due to the injuries, obviously. Um, I don't think there was a huge amount else that could have been done with that. But like we said, when I saw it, I thought it would have enough to beat Hamilton. And obviously not. But yeah, it was just a lot of sideways passing. And I know we'll go on to the performance, but McCall said in the interview that it was the first half of some of the best stuff we've played in months. And I think that's absolute rubbish, to be honest. Yes, we had a lot of the ball. Maybe in the opening 15, we did put a lot of balls in the box, but we also spent a lot of time doing absolutely nothing with it. So, I think there's only one change I'd have made to the 11. And if there's only one change, you, you can't really say it's a bad team. He's picked and his hands were tied by injuries. But I looked at the midfield, with it looked, I didn't really know what shape we were going to line up with. It ended up being Hodgson sitting with Dockett and Bannigan in front of him and Turner out in the left. And Turner was a bit wasted and you could see he was getting frustrated in the second half and cutting inside. But it just reminded me so much of the second half of last season when we were Shuhan and Robbie Crawford into to wide positions playing Stephen Bell at the base of midfield rather than play, well at the end of last season it was rather than playing Connor Murray on the wing for example and that limited us going forward and on Saturday there it was probably at the expense of you'd say McKenzie would have come in uh, to a wide position and just let Turner continue in the middle where he's been playing really well 
when I saw that midfield, I was pretty concerned that it would be the sort of stodgy, slow performance we got in the end. Um, but if, if there's only one thing you would change, I don't think you can solely put the defeat down to to the team selection. David, what about you? Team selection and performance itself, what went wrong on the day? All right, so the team selection, I watched the Archie interview at about five minutes before I left for the bus. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I doing? Uh, why? It, everybody was out. And when you seen it, it was like Graham was out and stuff like that. And you were, you, you feared the worst. But at the same time, I was like, well, it's Hamilton Aki's, you know, we're for the best well in the world. They are not very good at the moment. Turns out we are not very good either. But I don't know, like when, when you saw the bench for the school kids, and no disrespect to them, you know, it, it's good to be bleeding youth in. We've done so much by playing young players and getting the most out of them but it doesn't doesn't fill you with the sort of confidence you want going into a game like this and yeah I think the performance was laboured it was sluggish we we didn't do anything I don't think there was a I think this first shot and target was a crossbar challenge I might be wrong on that was there one before the crossbar challenge I don't think so I think the only shot and target we had was in with minutes to go I'm, I'm not even talking about like <laughs> Like us, like, did, did, yeah. was it nil nil at half time? I, I think yeah, the first shot right, target yeah. was the crossbar challenge, and you know, that's not a good sign of a good game. I mean, Fisco versus Aki's isn't exactly El Clasico at the best of times, but a really, really poor performance. And just it, it's the we'll, we'll get on to this earlier because I know this is on the running order, but it's really endemic. This is McCall Ball, <laughs> this is what it is. Like, we talk about all the, the great attacking play and stuff like that, but this is the flip side of it. And you just, you just don't have any sort of expectation that it's going to change. I want to pick up on a point you made there, David, and I'll come straight back to you with it. You mentioned that we do well with sort of bleeding youth players in. Do we do well at bleeding youth players in? Because we had a full bench on Saturday, but I would say that was more out of the situation than what youth players have, have come in in the last... I don't know, five or six years, Fitzpatrick maybe, and he's left and come back. Other than that, I can't really think of many off the top of my head apart from Liam Lindsay. And is that a criticism of McCall that he doesn't put enough trust in, in youth? Because it was very late the subs were made on um, on Saturday. I know McKenzie came on a little bit earlier, but the last two changes were very late on when they couldn't make an impact. The the issue is so like I mean we do give you know players a chance and obviously uh, Lindsay and Fitzpatrick are, are two examples of that but even then like sort of younger players getting a chance in the team maybe not necessarily academy graduates but like sort of other end of the the age scale compared to sort of veterans we we have done that where we'll take a punt on a player and stuff like that at times but I mean McCall I mean when we had McCall on not this season but the season before. He absolutely raved about the youth squad about how oh, there's going to be like five or six players in that team who they'll go on to be official stalwarts. They'll get into the first team in years to come. And uh, especially James Lyon. I was always, you know, praising James Lyon and so many players there that you, know, were, you, you felt that there was something there. And yeah, they just... It, it's McCall's substitutions. Obviously, we've talked about it before, about how he's maybe not the most reactive of player, players, and maybe not the most reactive of managers. And maybe one of his biggest sort of failures is his time and his substitutions and knowing when to change a game and stuff like that. If you're a 17, 18-year-old guy and you've got 
a manager who is quite reliable for not putting on subs at the most opportune moments and you're the guy getting chucked on, what are you going to do? What impact are you going to have? Um, so, yeah, it, it's difficult. I'll open this up in a minute, but do you think, in general, McCall does enough to bleed youth into the team? I don't myself, no. He'll give young-ish players a chance, but I think like the sort of school kids and stuff like that, they are getting game time, but we get them all at five, ten minutes at a time. And I don't know, we just I just feel that there has been the loans that we put out and stuff like that. Um, you know, to like Galafidi Dean and things like that. Like, no disrespect, but we could be more more savvy with that. Jamie, do you agree? Do you tie in lack of chances the youth players get with the poor substitutions we've spoken about in recent weeks and months, or do you see that as a separate issue? Where do you stand on the the chances that youth players are getting at the moment, Jamie? The substitution things, I wouldn't even say is recent months. I just say it's almost since McCall's come in. To be honest, we've always spoken about substitutes being an issue. The youth players not getting a chance. I was I was agreeing with what you said earlier, Matt. There's not really that many who have come in in recent years, and I was thinking about that before you said it. Outside of Lindsay and Fitzpatrick, which are the two obvious ones, not many have come in and actually staked a claim and held down a place in the team. To be honest, it's, there's been a couple flashes here and there. I mean, Senna's maybe he's not he didn't even come from our academy to be honest, but you know he was a young player that did get a run in the team. He's the only other one I can really think of. But it's, yeah, we haven't really had many players come in and stake a claim. And I agree with what David was saying as well. We've mentioned it numerous times in the chat. The loans that we get our players are atrocious, to be honest. And not trying to be disrespectful to the teams we've gone out to, but it's just, you know, we're, we're loaning players out to Dalbiti Star and, like David said, Gallifrey Dean and stuff. The only good loan I can think we've got someone recently is Ben Stanway heading to Airdrie. That's about it. So I think that's part of the problem. We're not getting these players good enough experience. They make one or two cameo appearances, head out and loan to a fifth-tier team. Then we never hear from them again and they're released. So, yeah, I think the youth, it has been an issue for the last quite a few years, to be honest. And it's definitely not fair to apportion all of that blame to Dean McCall. He sees these players in training and maybe he's deciding that they're not good enough. And if that's the case, then it's a wider club issue that I'd say needs to be addressed. But... Rhys, do you have anything to add on, on the youth players and just in general, the performance on Saturday? Where did it go wrong in your eyes? Uh, it's just similar um, with, with what's been said already about the youth. I mean, the guys, majority of them of our youth team probably aren't good enough, but you know what McCall's like. He hypes these guys up to the high heavens and then doesn't give them a chance. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you're sort of cramming players into the wrong position. Why not just go and play that young boy in his natural position from the start? And he doesn't do that. And then, as you mentioned, he brings him on with like five to go. And you're thinking to yourself, if you're not going to play him then, then when when are you ever going to play him? So they could end up could end up being good players for us, but they're only going to get that if they get game time. And it doesn't seem like they are going to get that um, anytime soon. And they all seem to be sort of midfielders and probably it's the strongest position in our team we've got. We've got three good, solid midfielders as it is, so I don't see how they're going to dislodge any of them. Um, so I, in terms of the, <clears throat> the overall performance, first half was, I get what McCall was saying, it was good in terms of we had all the, the ball control and we were like attacking, but we were getting into the final third and every every ball was powder puffed. They couldn't find anyone in the box. A couple of times Danny Mullen had like a half chance that skimmed off his head. 
just it felt like it was from the beginning it was one of the days and we've said it a million times not following for so you see this happen time after time after time where you're battering a team and you don't take the chances and you just know it's going to turn around and, and bite you in the arse and of course that happens early on in the second half and at that point it doesn't look like we can get back in the game no matter how how long we sit in sort of pepper Aki's goal we never we tested the keeper we never had enough shots and it's something that's kind of bothered me for a while um, and it's disappointing that we didn't we didn't really even test the keeper up, up until injury time but he had a, a shot cleared off the line and the keeper made a good save but a disappointing day and that's a couple of really disappointing results we've had against the likes of Aki's and Cove Rangers now. Jamie out of the, the players missing on Saturday who do you think was the biggest loss? Say Brian Graham to be honest I think he's so influential in the way we play he's such a important voice on the pitch you know, he talks all the time. You're always hearing him demands from his teammates. And, you know, he's brilliant in the air. He drops in quite often. He's good at moving us up the park. His hold-up play is good. You know, he's just so crucial to the way we play. I mean, obviously, Tiffany is that flair player. And, you know, he makes a difference and he's in the team. But I think Graham is just someone that you can rely on every single game to give you something. And, yeah, I think any time he's not on the team, you notice it. It's hard to disagree with that, Jamie. I was saying throughout the, the first half especially, I thought we were... We're crying out for a player like Lawless. I thought all of the play, especially in the first half, it was just too safe. Every time we had the ball in decent positions, it was just needing that that killer ball when defence is sitting that Lawless gives you. And we don't have too many other players that can give you what Lawless gives you. And I felt a bit sorry for Danny Mullen on, on Saturday because I thought he actually did all right considering some of the service he's got. He's obviously not the same player as Brian Graham, but we sort of played the same way as if we were playing to Brian Graham. And I thought Mullen did all right with it, but he maybe needed a guy like Lawless to, to feed him through balls on the deck, and, and I thought Lawless was the real the real standout miss for me on Saturday. David, do you, do you agree with that, and what were your thoughts on the performance? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I thought, well, we definitely missed the spark that Lawless can bring us, um, and Graham being there, especially in a game against Akis, who, again, are, are not, not in the greatest of shape, Having him and Lawless there would have really, really benefited. But no, I, I agree about Lawless. One really bone-chilling uh, realisation I had today was we are free each on aggregate with Aki's this season. How is that even a thing? <laughs> How can we be free all on aggregate with Hamilton Aki's who are fucking dreadful at them, like, from most of the season? And it's only free each because we... Uh, obviously, the first game was one each, then we won 2-1, then 1-0 there. What what is going that that is that 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 really made me think a lot about. I mean these these are the sort of games you know that you need to win realistically. It's a team that are are low in confidence and poor in form, and they've turned it around the last couple of weeks. But even then, they were not great on Saturday, and it was there for the taking, and we we're just not taking it. Even the one we won, it, we huffed and puffed to a two-one win. It wasn't a dominant performance. Now Aki's put us under pressure and. It, it was it was an atrocious game of football to watch, like incredibly bad, one of the worst I've seen in a long, long time. And I know that's, you know, draw lose or draw bingo. Uh, every three weeks, this is one of the worst games I've ever seen in my life because it seems to be happening all the time at the moment. But it, it's just not acceptable. I'm not gonna lie, it is not acceptable. Well, it's we're three each on aggregate as well with Cove Saturday's opponents as well, and it's oh Jesus, it's things, like, it's, it's things like that that are really sort of putting a, a huge dent in, in our hopes for the season. Uh, which brings us on a couple of listener questions. Uh, Leo McLeod has asked, what percentage of chance do we have of winning the league now? Ross Alexander asks, is the title race over? Would top two be a good 
a good result now. David, I'll come to you first on that first one. You're the, the 66% man. Um, surely you're not still there. Well, I mean, uh, you, you need to look at the numbers here, right? You, you, you need to look at this. So there were free free in aggregate with Hamilton and free free in aggregate with Cove. If you add free free and free free together, that's 66. So I'm 66% chance to win the title. It's on the numbers. You know, the numbers don't lie. And they spell disaster for Dundee at sacrifice. Um, that's an joke. But yeah, uh, 66%. Reese, we're currently seven points off the pace, which you wouldn't say is, is terminal, but if, if you actually watch us, you probably would. Where do you think we're, we're looking for the rest of the season? Would top two be a good outcome now, or you still got your eyes on first? Of course, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you kind of you have to inwardly aim for the top spot as, as long as it's still there, but uh, we've kind of gave ourselves a mountain to climb. I know seven points isn't the be-all and end-all, but Obviously, Queen's Park are doing really well and Dundee are picking up the pace and we are sort of falling behind. And there's more, there's actually more important things for us to sort of look at now and actually securing the top four. And I know we've mentioned before, me personally, third and fourth doesn't really matter because it's it's basically impossible to get up from that position. You're having to play six games in about 10 days. It feels like that anyway, but you've got to be aiming for top two now. It's, we've really shot ourselves in the foot with the sort of injuries that we're picking up. But if we can get... If we can sort of get these guys back from injury and have put together a good run, then you never know what can happen. A team could hopefully fall away, but it's not over till till it's over, really. Jamie, what about you? Where do you see the the season ending up? What would be a success? I see. I don't know if I call it a success. To be honest, unless we won the title, I don't know if anything really would be a success. I don't know if that's a bit of a I don't know. I, I feel like we missed Cessna if we won the league, to be honest. And do I think we're going to win the league? No. I think I said it in the chat that the result on Saturday kind of killed that for me. Any slim hope I still had of us winning the league, I don't have it anymore, to be honest. I mean, that was such a poor result. And, and it's people I remember used to always speak about McCall can't pick up points against part time teams, blah, blah, blah. And against bottom half teams, we do seem to drop stupid points constantly. We did it last season a couple of times and we've done it again this season. Look, we've drawn with Cove twice, including chucking a 2-0 lead with 10 minutes to play at home, which felt like a defeat. We've drawn with Hamilton at home because of a stupid own goal. We've now lost to Hamilton at home. That's really, really poor. And I'm not just saying salty, but Hamilton and Cove have not been good sides this season. Like, look at Cove's recent results. They've been getting dis- dismantled left, right and centre. Hamilton, their own fans have said that they've been shocking this season. It's just really, really poor results, and I don't see us winning the league at all anymore. The the dropping points against teams low down in the league's not a, a new thing, as you said, Jamie. It happened last season. It happened in the league one season as well. You think we lost at home was it to Peterhead, drew at home to Dumbarton. We were dropping silly points in that league as well. And East Fife game is the big one. Yep. Well. Jack Carson's got in touch and I think this will be quite an interesting conversation. He's asked how would we review the management team's performance to date? So that's just over three years now. We're in nearly three and a half years of, of Ian McCall, Alan Archibald and Neil Scarry. I think this will be an interesting conversation. I know we've had chats about this in the group chat and I think we're all sort of on the same page. So I'll I'll kick us off and feel free to come in whenever you want. I feel like Ian McCall has done a a good job um, for the most part. I think if you look at where he 
came in when we were very, very bad in the championship, struggling, and it, that ended with the COVID season and the, the relegation to League One, which maybe could have done better. We looked like we were picking up in January, but we were in a bad situation when he came in. He really did turn it around, I'd say, from about March in the League One season. And then I'd say we had a really good year, um, the March in the League One season, till maybe last March. We had a really, really good year um, when we had Rudden, for the most part of that, Tiffany was on fire. Since then, so maybe for the last 10 months, I think it's been a struggle. We're still in a much better position than now than when he came in. We mentioned in the group chat, do you think McCall's under pressure? I can't see him being sacked this season unless we lose like another six or seven games on a row. If he was sacked, I would be very sad from the sense that I really like Ian McCall. I'm desperate for Ian McCall to do well. But would I be sad from a football point of view? Do I think it would be a bad decision? I don't think I'd be devastated, to be honest. Anyone want to come in on how you'd review McCall and Co? I was thinking about when you were talking about this, and obviously, like when you look at it, in that championship season before COVID, he had a worse record than Caldwell. Um, in the League One season, we could beat by Clyde in the first day, and we're quite poor, lost to Peter Heads, all that. We we were very much saved by the the, the split. Like if I think if the, if there wasn't a split, if it just continued on as normal, um, in January we don't win that title. Um, he had a great six seven months between the end of the League One season and the start of the next season when we're flying high and you know. Up till basically until the streak get ended by our growth, I think that that's I know for a manager that's an incredible bit of uh, uh, an incredible span of time to have. Since then, I mean, our season last year was defined by us just colossally failing at, at the end with our you know results to Morton and Hamilton and Dunfermline, like teams that were struggling at the time, and we were just really really fragile at the back. And then you go into this season and like we we've played we've played good football and stuff and looked at a great side, but we again we're just not reactive enough. And I mean, it's quite funny this start. I remember I remember the start during COVID. Obviously, this isn't all McCall, but there was literal children conceived and born in the time that Thistle didn't win a game between like December and like October. Uh, and obviously, you know, four or five months of that, we were playing we were playing games. Um, you know, um, so it's obviously not all him, but like on the face of it, I think it's going to be a really, I think it's a really interesting chat in five, ten years, the legacy of McCall from his second season, uh, his second stint with us. Because on the paper, if you're not a Thistle fan, if you're just somebody who's, I don't know, Say uh, a Cowden, well maybe not a Cowden B fan, because they're in an absolute state at the moment. But like any an East Fife fan or something like that, or like a Motherwell fan or something, you looked at it and you looked at the stats. I felt, felt really speaking to a Fissel fan. Is, is are the results acceptable? Is is that acceptable? I I think I've said before, but I think that McCall is the 15th or 16th best manager in Scottish football, and that you'll always finish further four from the championship, and that's the ceiling. And he's, he's very much hit that, but he, he brings a lot to the club off the pitch. But on the pitch, the results are not sparkling. Uh, we we aren't the, an imperious force or anything like that on there. But when we're on it, we're on it. But when we're not, it's it's murder. 
I'll bring you on in a second, Jamie. I think you make a, a good point there, David. I think if he's definitely not going to be. If Ian McCall left tomorrow, I think in a year we will look back on this era quite fondly. I agree with you, David. I think he probably has hit his ceiling because you've, you've seen him have, have good teams at air. He's had good teams here and he can never quite get over the line. But I do think he's almost a victim of how good he is in the transfer window. And I know some fans will roll their eyes at that because the squad haven't, the results haven't been as good as we think and thought they would be in July. But when you look at his record in the transfer window, he brings in quality players and he gets the hype up. That's why we are so disappointed, I think. And yet it's on him that we've not got the results because I think we've spoken about tactically, it falls down. But if we had a different manager, would we have players like Harry Milne at the club? Would we have had Lewis Mayo last season? Would we have Brian Graham at the club for the last three or four years? Ross Dockery? Would we have these guys who have been integral to getting us out of League One? Scott Tiffany as well, getting us out of League One and having a, a good three quarters of a season last season and playing really well in moments this year. Would we have had that without McCall? So it's it's a it's a balance it's a balance act, doesn't it? Because he's almost a victim of how good he is in the transfer window. Jamie. No, I agree with what you're saying about transfers. I think McCall is very good in the window. We mentioned before about the McCall factor about selling the club to the players and bringing in the right sort of players to the club. And I do think he has actually done a good job window-wise for the majority of his time. Obviously, not all signings are a success, and some players he's let go. Maybe we don't always agree with, but I think in general he's done well in the transfer window. And I agree with you, Matt. I want him to do well because I do like McCall. But I think the stories of McCall's seasons at Thistle kind of all have a very similar... So they have similar themes. There's always an injury crisis. There's always a really, really poor run. Not like Apache run, like an unacceptable run. And then there's always a point when we are on a really good run and then we think, look up and we start finding hope. This seems to happen every time. Like in League One, maybe that's the only one that's slightly against it with we started really, really poorly and picked up a little bit. And there's an injury crisis, and then we picked up really well at the end, obviously. Then last season, we started well, fell away, kind of a little run towards kind of mid March time, late February, March, when we beat Inverness in that Friday night game and went forward and then beat Queen of the South from that Tuesday night one, but then fell away after that. Went an absolutely atrocious run of form, like five straight losses or something like that. Then this season, we started so well top of the league but then go on a run of what was it six seven straight defeats which is horrific and then once again another injury crisis strikes every single season I feel there's a lot of themes and what I put in the chat the other day I still kind of stand by that McCall came in to us as a struggling championship team like and he's a, he's a better manager than that he's a better manager than a struggling championship team so he took us out of that yes we went into league one but he won that took us out of that and has put us into the top half championship has he hit a ceiling as a manager maybe Definitely not us hitting or sitting as a club, but obviously not. But I mean, as a manager, that's possibly the best he's going to get us. I'd love him to prove me wrong, but it just seems like it's similar themes. We sign well, we go on a good run, we have an injury crisis, we fall away, we pick up a little bit, but then we end up flattening out and we'll probably finish third or fourth or maybe even fifth, which would be terrible. But that's how I kind of see it running. And maybe at the end of the season, if McCall was to move upstairs, still be involved in the transfers, but not be involved in the tactics, the subs, the coaching, and we give that to someone else, and that could be maybe more of a successful formula, but that's just my opinion. I'll bring you in in a minute, Reese, and I'm, I'm going to ask you all 
is there a decision to be made on Neil McCall now and in the summer? But I'll ask you, Jamie and David, because I've said it as well, you've both said it, has Ian McCall hit his ceiling? What do you think it would take for Ian McCall to break through that ceiling? What do you think it would take for, for him at this season, next season, whenever, to win the league? What does he need to do that he's, he's not doing right now? Maybe break out of some of his traditions and find an actual style of play because I think was it Reese that said in the chat about he just puts his best players on without really having a tactic. And then last season, we always said that was the tactic. You just put the best 11 out and then if that doesn't work, pass to Tiffany. And I think he'd need to go away and have a bit of a different think about what to do with the team and do it differently tactically. Not change his transfer policy, but change his tactics and subs. And I think that, that is what it would take. It would take his the tactical side, maybe even the training side. I think that would have to change. Reese, do you want to come in? What's your take on, on what's been said so far? Yeah, 100% agree with everything that's been said. Um, I think it's all spot on. And as Jamie mentioned, I said in the chat the other day, like, McCall, McCall said himself when he first signed, he's like, I just want to get, I just sign good players um, and let them go and play good football. And that is what it does to an extent. And of course, we're, we're going back these bad runs at times and then the players will come back from injury and we'll, we'll pump someone 5-0 and it's all rosy again. But that doesn't really paper over the cracks because, as I say, like if you remember when you're younger and you'd play FIFA and you, did, you weren't too aware of tactics and formation, so you just put your, your best rated players in the park. It's like that with McCall because he's shoehorning players in the wrong positions just based on what he's got available each week. And I know obviously the injuries don't help him, but I, if you look at his time as a whole, the first year wasn't great. There was a slight upturn and I thought we probably would have stayed up. Um, we didn't get the chance to stay up and obviously went down. Second season, you expect us to win the league. Didn't start great, but the, the, the good run at the end came from Tiffany's confidence. I mentioned before, football was all about confidence. Tiffany came in and, and transformed our season. Um, but I, I do think Mikhail's probably hit his ceiling as a manager. He's never won this league. With anyone, I know, I think he was at Falkirk before and he was sitting sitting pretty at the top of the league. He got poached by Dundee United and, and obviously Falkirk did go up, but I don't know if you, you want to count that. But it's one of the ones where he's he's getting on as a manager. And I do think he has a good manager. It's weird because he's, he's not a good coach. He doesn't coach at all, but he's, he might be a good man manager to some players. And we do win. You'd probably say we win the majority of our games as things stand um, under McCall. But... Sometimes you just think, is it time for a change? Like, because we don't want to be stagnant as a club, we want to get promoted. Is McCall the man to do that? I have my doubts. So maybe it's something to, we can review in the summer. Well, I'll ask you all now. I, I think it's unlikely we'll see a change this season because I think if we were going to get a change after the Morton game, the Morton defeat when we went six or seven games on a losing streak, that's when it would have happened. I think he's, he's ridden that. He's had a few good results since then. And it, it's unlikely that if, if they weren't going to change it before the January transfer window, I don't think they're going to change it now. Obviously, things can change. We might go on a winning run and win the league, and then this conversation will be redundant. But if the most likely outcome, which I'd say is probably making the playoffs or just missing out in the playoffs and not getting promoted, so a similar season to last season. In the summer, we are, we've just finished third or fourth. We've not got promoted do you stick or twist? Because I agree with you, Reese. I think he is a good manager and I think it would be a risk. So I'm interested to hear, would you stick or twist if we, if that is the outcome this season? David, I'll start with you. Well, the thing, the thing for me, just a kind of interesting point that came up there, you're obviously talking about 
sort of McCall, you know, he's not a coach, he has a sort of management style and stuff like that, and he has a ceiling and what it would take to break the ceiling. His assistant manager is Archie, who, let's be honest, broke the ceiling for us in terms of getting us into the top six, or like a highest league finish in what, I was like 50 odd years, or 40, 50 years at the time. He he realistically took us to the sort of highest we're ever really going to get in the league table. And, you know, he he done it. He, you know, pulled off, you know, great results. I mean, like, you know, obviously that the, the the famous game at Tynecastle, the draw against Celtic at Parkhead, all that. These were games where we got something out there. And, you know, obviously there'll be people screaming at their uh, phones, whatever they listen to it on, about how the amount of games that we shat it and stuff like that. I get like the Rangers games, stuff like that on there. But there is results in there and there is achievements in there that, Show Archie, I mean, even just winning the championship, Archie has won the championship with help from McNamara, but he did do it. And he's our assistant manager, and still, it, it just doesn't look like it, it's, you know, it's having any sort of seeping in at all. Um, it is a real difficult one. The, the Romantics view, and people will roll their eyes at this again, draws or draw bingo. The Romantic view is I, I do see Graham becoming manager at some point in the future. He, the, the, what the what he is doing with the Fissile team, uh, the Fissile women's team at the moment, is frankly unreal. Um, they are an absolutely feared side. Everyone hates playing them. They have an identity. They have a style, and they may not win every time, but they they leave a marks a lot of the times literally um, on the other team, and they they absolutely make you work for games um, against them. I see him being Fissile manager at some point, and the the dream ideally, is Graham becoming manager with McCall, because as you say, McCall's great at transfers and doing stuff, a director of football from McCall, sort of advising on transfers, being around the club, geeing everybody up, having that sort of, not ceremonial role, but a more a more ceremonial role with Graham installing his philosophy on there is, for me, the way to go. And Graham's a young manager, it's, it's a great opportunity for him and something that we've seen how much the club means to him. That's that's for me the destination at some point. That is that is the destination I would like us to get to. Does that happen this season? Who knows? Is it the season that who knows? But I, I feel that that's the way that, that if all is going well and you know we get the the fairy tale, well maybe not the fairy tale, but if we get a good ending to the McCall story where it isn't him getting sacked, having to be a cove away, like because like let's be honest, we talked about it, it's Ned and saved him. I think for there, I was fully accepting he was gone. He got saved and he's managed to keep himself in a position without where he's probably going to be there to the end of the season. But you you do have to think about the future. Do you want another further fourth next year? Is that what you want? It does sound ideal, and I know, as you've said, David, there'll be folk rolling their eyes, it's more jobs for the boys and stuff, but it, it does seem ideal, and I know we're still dealing hypotheticals, and the summer's a long way away, and McCall might turn it round, but Jamie, can you foresee that situation with, with Brian Graham stepping in and McCall going upstairs? I mean, I feel it's a possibility. Would I want it to happen next season? Not really, because I don't want Brian Graham to retire. I mean, obviously, yeah, he could be a player manager, but I think he does enough for us right now as a player, and he's obviously big, big in the dressing room. You can tell that he's big on the pitch vocally. I feel that maybe if we were to go with McCall moving upstairs at the end of the season, if we weren't to go up, McCall did go upstairs, maybe try something new with McCall upstairs and then see how that goes. But Brian Graham getting involved in the coaching and management in the future is definitely something I'd be against, but I don't want him to retire just yet. 
Reese, what about you? Where do you think it's going to go in the summer if we we have a similar end to the season as last? I I've always I've maintained since McCall his first day in the job. I thought that McCall would maybe be here maybe four years as manager, five years as manager, um, and, and then Archie would become the manager. But that's obviously of course off the back of McCall having some some sort of success. If that's not the case and it ends up being McCall gets sacked so to speak or we part ways. And I can't see Archie taking up the gig, and I, I think that Brian Dane would be a viable option. But you need to look at the other options out there. Um, there's nothing that really jumps out yet at the minute, so I do think that probably is why Fissel wouldn't pull the trigger. There's there's a lot of money at stake as well. You have to pay off three sort of coaches, the manager and the two coaching staff. But another option that I, I mentioned to you guys the other day, obviously we've mentioned Neil Lennon in the past and stuff, but I mentioned to you guys the other day, like Jim Goodwin, it's very raw what happened. He's only been sacked in the last couple of days, and the terrible result at Darvel, but he is a good manager. I think I believe so anyway. And he just had he's had a bit of bad luck, and that can happen to any manager. But that could be an option in the summer if we do end up parting ways with Michael. But it's a it's a long way. I think we'll have a conversation about a more in depth conversation about potential replacements when the when the day comes. But um, I, I feel like we, I know it's probably obvious to anyone who's listened to more than one of these podcasts, but like. For all we criticise Ian McCall, I think we're all absolutely desperate for him to win the league with us. I don't think we want anyone else in charge when we go up. We want Ian McCall. We can see how much it means to him. He's such a great guy to have there when we're winning and we're desperate for it. And I think we just, we're just so frustrated that it's not quite worked out how, how we hoped in the summer. We will have a look ahead to Saturday now. We are playing Cove Rangers at Furhill. Eighth in the league, Cove Rangers, who we are yet to beat in the league this season, two draws. Reese, what sort of game are you expecting on Saturday? I'm expecting a carbon copy of what we just watched Saturday there against Hamilton Ackies. I think that we'll have the lion's share of possession. Um, I think it'll be a stuffy game and we might struggle to break them down as we, the same thing that happened to Hamilton Ackies. I don't think Cove will really be up too much, but they can always they can always catch you, for, catch you like lacking and, and get a goal. They've got Mitch Meganson up top and they've got a, a couple of good attackers and it's always possible as we've seen at the weekend. So it's, These two games should have been ones you're going into thinking, right, six points, gets us in a good position and it's not it's not been the case. Um, so this this now becomes a worry where you need to win. And as we mentioned, that fingers start getting pointed at McCall. And the, can, the real concern as well, what if, how many players did we have out? Seven or eight players, whatever it may be. We had them out last week. Doc pulled up with a really bad shoulder injury. Someone was saying he might have dislocated his shoulder and it needed popped back in. Jack McMillan came off injured as well. So if these two guys are out, we're, we're even more hamstrung and it's going to be an even trickier game. So uh, if you're looking for attractive free-flowing football, then I'd maybe give for how I miss it the weekend. But if you're looking for some stodgy stuff and you're looking to, to feel the passion, then get yourself along. Do you want to kick us off with a prediction, Reese? Uh, we, we all went for Thistle wins on, on Saturday, so you remain top of the leaderboard with 23 points, David on 21, Jamie 19, and myself on 18 points. So, Reese, you're the leader. Do you want to kick us off? My head's telling me that we're not going to get all three points, and I can see maybe a, a score a score draw, but patch that. I'm just going to go 1 0 Thistle and we'll scrape it. 1 0 Jags. Can you imagine back in July when we started this prediction league saying, in January, Reese might predict we draw it home to Cove Rangers in a deadly serious way. <sighs> David, score prediction from you? 
You know, it's bad on even. I'm like, I, it sounds like a home draw. I mean, let's be honest, this all screams at like a thousand decibels, 1-0 Cove win, but that's not how we play this game. No, I I mean, we are fucking shocking on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've i talked to her about how, you know, I'm quite chill. I don't really get things annoy me. I lost a run on myself on Saturday. I was that pissed off at them. I was... I, oh, I, I booed on Saturday. That's the first time I've booed in about five years. We've kept a lid in this for a good half an hour. Going, you know what? Oh, you know, when the day comes and we call it, we're like, actually, I was fucking raging. I jumped at my seat screaming and I, and I booed. And like, um, like we were, uh, to, to quote Matt Wallace, real talk, um, we were stinking, right? Um, I mean, it's it's Cove Rangers. I mean, Cove are atrocious at the moment. But I, I know another in the West End of Glasgow who are also atrocious. One, what I'm meaning is 1-0 Thistle. See, I keep predicting 1-0 wins and then the Thistle Archive tweeted on after the game on Saturday that our both are the only team in the league we've kept a clean sheet against this season. So I uh, got to speed with that one, David. Uh, Jamie, your prediction? This might sound a bit stupid after what's been quite a negative podcast, but I'm going to say we win 3-0 purely because I see this as kind of a similar game to when we beat our bro 3-0 at home off the back of a really poor performance. I think it was that Morton away game before that Arbroath one. Really stuffy game that we just lost. And this, in my head, it is a little bit dependent on if maybe Brian Graham's back in the squad, if Tiffany's at least on the bench, maybe. Lawless, I don't know how long he's out for. If we have one or two bodies back, I think we'll win 3-0. Not, not the most inspiring performance, but we'll win comfortably. I'm not... It's not an impressive opponent to beat like that, to be honest. I don't think that's a disrespect to Cove. It's just because they've lost 6-0, 6-1 and 5-0 in three of their last four games. But like people have already said, I could see us dropping points here as well. But in my head, I see this as a similar game to that are both one. So I'm going to say 3-0 festival, but that could end up coming back to bite me. Yeah, I think... Jamie, what did you do be a Saturday afternoon? Because it certainly wasn't at that fucking yeah, game. Did you see us on Saturday? We were... So bad. Like. Yeah, yeah, but that's not my point. We were awful in that morning game as well. We've been on seven straight defeats and then we played a team that came to Far Hill in rubbish form down the bottom in the league. We won 3-0. I just see a kind of similar game, but maybe I'm wrong. I'll back you up a bit, Jamie. I think if we get maybe one of Lawless and Tiffany back, I, I think that could just be enough. I think the results you mentioned with Cove getting been on the wrong end of a few heavy defeats, in the last last month or so, I think they'll sit and I think it'll be a really stodgy game as as has been discussed. But I do think we'll probably win. I'll go two now. Um, I can sort of see a similar game to Saturday. And maybe if we've got Lawless or Tiffany back, that will just be the difference in a bit of cutting edge. If we are decimated similarly with with Doc and McMillan being added to that then I can absolutely see a struggle. But I'm I'm sort of counting that two now prediction on when somebody been back. Absolutely incredible stuff that you have literally wheeled out. Oh, the Fist Archive told me that they, that Arbroath <laughs> is the only team we kept a clean sheet against and all of his pistol clean sheet. N- never never in any doubt, absolutely silver bullet lock. Fistle clean sheet. Oh dear. I tell you what we'll do. Obviously we don't want to end on a down note. You know, we've we've bared some 
uncomfortable truths today. I lost a rag of it, which I don't usually do at the game. Matt booed. Um, we all had a terrible time, and I think it's just, you know, we're not in the, the best shape at the moment. I think we all need to kind of decompress a little bit. So what better way to decompress than the melancholic dream pop of Camera Obscura? I spoke to Camera Obscura bassist Gavin Dunbar earlier on in the week ahead of his DJ set at the Jags Foundation get-together at the Record Factory in Byers Road on the day of the Rangers Cup game between 12 and 3 and we just chatted Fissel and music. Camera Obscura, bass extraordinaire, Gavin Dunbar. Gavin, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, thanks for having me. No problem. So we got you on just to talk about the Jags Foundation get-together that's happening before the Rangers game. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit about that, I believe you're going to be DJing at it. Yeah, that should be good fun. I asked if I would uh, be up for doing a bit of decks action. So yeah, it seems like a really nice thing to do, especially with like kids being welcome as well. So it's a nice way to spend the Sunday afternoon before the game. Nice crowd of folk and some good tunes, and and then offer for hopefully as a as a good uh, a good cup game to watch. No doubt. Um, how do you go about? Do do you have a mindset when you're like preparing your DJ set? What's your sort of mindset going in? Are you just playing good tunes, or do you have a playlist already set out? No, I, I never I never go in with a playlist. I just think that's really boring. Um, so I'll I'll take whatever. I usually have like a couple of boxes of CDs or or and like maybe some digital stuff as well, um, and just go in and start playing. And it just depends what folk ask for and what people react to. And we're just gonna go down a wee rabbit hole of uh, what seems to be going down well. First, first off, it's just gonna big, big, big hitters and big tunes, bangers. Try and keep everybody uh, in a good mood and happy. I guess it's different playing at a pub to a club. You're not. Like trying to get folk dancing, you just want to make a nice atmosphere for folk to enjoy themselves in, you know. So, yeah, never, never plan in advance. Just turn up and go for it and hope for the best. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine. Um, so I mean, obviously you've been a, a Thistle fan for a year. So how did you, how did you become a Thistle fan? Um, I mean, I have been a Thistle fan for as long as I can remember. Um, I think it was probably like, like primary one was when I, you know, you're actually in the playground chat, folks say, oh, what team do you support? And there was a couple of other Thistle fans in my, in my class. And I was aware that I, I grew up in Broomhill. And I was aware that Partick was the next bit next bit is. And obviously just assumed that Partick Thistle still played in Partick. So I, I kind of was aware that, you know, they were my local team. Obviously I thought they were. And um, and that was it. And at that point, they must have just won the like the second division and gone back up into the first. So, you know, and they, they obviously they had Alan Ruff, the Scotland keeper, playing for them. So, you know. There was no alternative, really. That was it. So hooked, hooked in a lifetime of watching <laughs> variable performances has followed. You know, wouldn't change. I always think support this was a really good way to um, be well grounded in life. You know, it's like you get used to the the highs and the lows. And it's 
it's great. There's no better team to support. Great stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember there was a video uh, a couple of months ago that got punted around Twitter of you at, I want to say, is it Benny Kasim or Primavera in oh, Spain I, in the uh, early 2000s wearing your 71 Cup final shirt? <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm a Dunbar tartan coat. Um, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that must have been, that was Primavera in the uh, 2004, maybe. Uh, it, was, it was a good shout as well because it was absolutely roasting in the tent. So wearing a coat was quite, um, it was a bit cooler, even though it was made of wool. And uh, I don't know uh, what, what, what better top to wear with a red coat than a, than a, 1971 Um, there's a couple of couple of old firm fans, but the different sides, and um, I'm the only sort of Thistle fan. Um, although Kenny's come to Farrell a couple of times, and um, he's kind of sort of impartial these days. Doesn't really doesn't really follow a particular team. But um, I, I, there's a few there's a few folk from the kind of uh, music scene that I kind of see um, up at Farrell fairly regularly, which is quite nice. Just folk in bands and. Uh, some of Glasgow's most famous sound engineers are frequently at uh, <laughs> frequently at Farhill. So it's always quite fun to see folk that otherwise you tend to see when you're kind of touring. Who's your favourite player? Do you know, as a joke on the list, it's like Chick Charnley, um, just because you never quite knew what was going to happen next when he got the ball. <laughs> I think like, one of my favourite my favorite memories of going to a game was when it was the, the kind of the last uh, Glasgow Cup final which we won, and it was like we, we, we kind of got to the final because Celtic and Rangers pulled out because they hadn't played the previous year's final, and it was just us and Clyde, and, uh, and Charlie had, had uh, ended up throwing his shirt at the crowd at the end, and he got caught by someone I was with. It was just a total <laughs> just a, like, a really daft fun night. Um, and that thing, at that point, it was possibly the only time I'd seen him win anything, um, albeit a kind of diddy cup, so it felt like quite a special moment. But I checked Charlie, totally incredible um watch them do like ridiculous things and, and being really skillful and then just losing his rag <laughs> getting sent off or whatever watching him was always exciting in terms of like games like uh, is there any specific games that you remember going to any away days or anything like that that you did you, did you I, t i assume like when you were touring and stuff that must be a, a bit difficult to kind of get to games and stuff but is there any sort of big days that you remember um, that, you know, you really enjoyed as a Thistle fan? Um, I never really went to away games so much. I, I went to a couple. I think it was one of my, my the first seasons. I kind of like, I must have been, you know, I, I'd been going for a couple of years to the home games and one year decided I was going to go to all the games and I, I lasted uh, in the second <laughs> second away game of the season where they got cuffed by Dundee in the League Cup and I thought, this is just a long journey back <laughs> at night, feeling a, bit, <laughs> feeling a bit deflated in the cold. Um, but I used to, I mean, I've kind of gone to most of the home games over the years. Um, like when when we started touring a lot, it, it, it kind of stopped being um, possible to go all the time. So I'd maybe get to go a couple of games a year. But the last sort of like few seasons have been pretty much every home game, which has been really nice um, and uh, indoctrinating. Um, my love of this, my, my kids who both come most weeks as well uh, these days, which is good. I guess like, the, the big games when, you know, Those those league winning games when 
everyone's just going for it and minor pitch invasions at the end, which obviously I, I was well behaved and didn't do. It seems to be every 10 years, those are spectacular results, isn't it? Uh, but the, the, the last, the, the last the, the 2012 13 First Division win was, was pretty special. Um, being there for the the winning game of the season and all the other games merging into one, but um, I then the League Cup final from what the late 80s, <laughs> not League Cup final, Glasgow Cup final. That's all, that's my, my perennial daft favourite. There's always one really silly one, isn't there? Yeah, it's, just, it's totally pointless, but uh, but but fun. And again, to go to the tennis sixes, I know it's like the 30th anniversary of them winning that, but I, my dad used to take me to the tennis sixes and. And like just seeing Thistle win it was like wow, you know. And it might it might be because like all the, the major teams couldn't be bothered sending half their players, but we still won and it was tremendous fun, you know. We're we're doing a podcast in the tenant sixties next week. I interviewed a whole bunch of players about it and stuff like that. And yeah, like just from like going through it, it's been really, really fun, like reliving it and stuff like that. And it just yeah. seems like such a madcap tournament. <laughs> it was it was it was crazy. I mean it was just such a kinda like was that it was like over the two days at the weekend. And um, I just remember even like folk from my class at school would all be there, like all supporting different teams, and it was just really quite exciting. And like all the players would all would walk past, you know, to go to the dugouts every time they changed over for games. And uh, I remember my dad had uh, gone down and he chinned Frank McGarvey to say hello because apparently when my dad used to be a joiner, and um, Frank McGarvey when he first when he was young had been an apprentice um, to my dad, so he was gone down and kind of going hello. And he was like, oh, hi, fine, you know, nice to see you. And then obviously went back up to play a game. But uh, it was just quite fun. It seemed really kind of intimate and uh, just really exciting, you know. It was like total fast madcap football. Definitely. And speaking of the 10-6s, actually, this, well, this is a question that Matt uh, wanted to pose to you. Yep. Uh, Matt, obviously, I believe you are a big Doctor Who fan, as is Matt. So I'm just going to read this verbatim for you. Yep. He wants you to pick a Doctor Who six-a-side team made up of actors to have played the Doctor to enter the next Tenant Sixes and there's in-depth explanation on every position possible, please. <laughs> uh, blame me, Charlie. Um, oh. You've kind of got to choose ones that are actually physically going to be able to play football, really, so you're probably not going to have Hartnell. Trouton's going to be doubtful. Pitley, a bit of an action hero, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't have lasted a tournament. So, you have to have Tom Baker because he's amazing uh, and he's the best one. Um, where would you put him, though? Probably he seems like a mad goalie to me. He, if, I, I think like... put him in goals. Just, if he's got the scarf on, that's going to help keep out any, you know, any <laughs> shots. Peter Davison, obviously, because he was, uh, at the time, was the youngest to have done it. Matt Smith genuinely was a fantastic footballer because he played for... He played for um, I can't remember what he played for. So Notts County or Notts Forest or like in their youth team, um, and he could have gone on to be um, pro, but he went off to do the acting instead. So Matt Smith would probably be striker. Uh, Paul McGann, uh, midfield dynamo, I reckon. David Tennant and Eccleston would probably be the other two to make up the six. I reckon Eccleston would be a pure staunch defender, and. Uh, like sort of Archie, Primo Archie. Absolutely. Sort of. And then Eccleston might like, put, uh, put Tennant in the wing and see what happens. Uh, there we go. So that's, that's my six. A team would win any tournament. <laughs> totally. Um, they've got a, a tough group staging against the Daleks and the Cybermen. Um, <laughs> always but, be um, 
Maybe Capaldi can be the manager. No nonsense. And see what happens. I, I Peter Capaldi would be an excellent manager. He is. I, I, he's got a Lambie in him, isn't he? I mean, what oh. you've seen, obviously, the thick of it. I mean, if you just, you know, you, uh, there's a lot of parallels between yep. Malcolm Tucker and John Lambie. So um, I could absolutely see that kind of seeping through. Absolutely. But as well as I just want to talk about, obviously, you've been involved with and helping out a wee bit for like, Jags for Good yeah. uh, quite recently. So what you talk about that and what, what else you do as well? Yeah, Jacks for good stuff. Just been really, it's been amazing. Um, Neil had had got in touch to say, would I be interested in like in kind of in, in doing something because he was aware that I, I kind of in, in my my day job I, I manage a charity over in in, in Govan, supporting folk getting into tenancies after like homelessness or moving on from kind of difficult lifestyle situations. And um, we just kind of make sure they've got all the household essentials that you need. Um, so he knew I did that and and kind of figured I'd probably be interested in doing something that was a bit socially just so I just said it like a really nice thing to do um, and just the reaction from from people has been amazing um, all the collections for the, the food bank and the baby food bank and the, the energy fund stuff has just totally grown arms and legs and obviously it, it's a difficult time for people just generally it's like everything's costing a fortune and you know disposable income isn't really that easy to come by so the fact that people have been so generous Supporting the, um, you know, the Jugs for Good stuff has been really heartwarming to see, and it is making a big, it's making a huge difference to people who are, are otherwise struggling really badly just now. So it's been lovely to be involved, and it's been lovely to see people getting behind it. No, I agree. It's been a, a fantastic initiative, and yeah, the, as you say, the response out of it has been absolutely incredible. Yeah. I, I, it's just lovely to see, and it's, it, you know, at, at the time like this, um, when everything's a bit a bit rough in the world and yeah. uh e- even like with you when you're watching Fissel labor to a one nil loss to Aki's on the saturday and you're wondering why why the hell do you do any of this and then you see stuff like jags are good and you're like oh yeah that's why totally um, uh, we, we, we sat through the, through the game on the on saturday and, and my youngest had come and he, he comes to, to, to quite a few games but not all of them and he was just sitting at the end and he just went I feel I feel really bad after watching that, and it was like, oh, you'll, you'll be fine. And he's like, no, I mean, I've you know when they lose, I always feel a bit you know, a bit rubbish. But this is really bad. And I was like, well, you better get used to it because it'll happen. It'll happen again and again. But there we go. It's just that it was it was just really it was just hard, really hard going to watch. For we were we were late. We were running about like uh, like Dafties trying uh, with stuff to do. So we we missed the first ten minutes. And I came in. And it was one of these games where I had uh, like one of my, a friend who um, has been coming with us like for most of the season to, to the games had been saying to other friends, "You should totally come up. It's a it's a great laugh. We're having a really good afternoon." So these like extra friends had come, having been told, "Shoe in three points. It's going to be really great." And just sitting watching you know, a fairly dodgeful uh, game, but uh, it was just it was just hard work, you know. I think the first ten minutes have probably been the best, <laughs> the best of the. Uh, <laughs> the best of of, of this old uh, play, and so we we missed that, and just got to watch the the remaining eighteen minutes of fairly hard work. Uh, I mean, there was moments when they looked really good, and then it just it was just slump, and oh dear, um, you know, getting taken advantage of by Hamilton getting a decent run um, a couple of times was just oh, so it was it was a a poor afternoon. So, um, in terms of yourself, Gavin, are you up to much uh, yourself musically, anything like that, um, at the moment? Um, just kind of um, 
uh, Cameron Screw have done a record for the first time in, in, in nearly two, it's been 10 years, I think. So we've got a new album coming up, coming out later this year. And um, we're just getting that tied up and finished off. Um, so that's quite exciting because it's been for a long time coming. So we're just we're just in the planning stages now of how of how we manage to, you know, prom- promote it and and gig when when we're all a little bit older and we've all got kids and you know um, jobs and stuff. So we're just trying to work out how to do the old uh, the old uh, medical round of promotion and and gigging. So but it's exciting. It's great, it's great fun to. It's been lovely to record again. So we were we were down in in, the, in Rockfield in in Wales. Monmouthshire, with like the kind of work just over the years, like, like the Stone Roses did the same coming, and um, Queen did be in Rhapsody, and Charlton's, you know, made loads of records there. So it's a beautiful studio uh, on a farm um, in the kind of Welsh countryside. It's just a delight and really quiet and a nice place to go and get away. So that was lovely to kind of go and just concentrate on on music for a couple of weeks. It's good. How different is it in 2023 recording an album from, say, like, was it 2013, your last one? 2012, yeah, 2013? Yeah, um, So, I mean, I guess, like, there are a couple, like, we tend to go away and try and record um, because it means we all concentrate. And apart from the first two records we did, we've always kind of left Glasgow. So we, we did a couple in Sweden, then we did one in um, in Portland, um, which was great. And, and this time, obviously, just go down to Wales. So um, it just gives us a chance to focus. Because if, you if you're in Glasgow, you end up wandering about and, you know, going to shopping and stuff, picking up the kids from school. And uh, and that's not necessarily very conducive to to, to concentrating. So the, the nice thing, I mean, the, the last place, it's kind of residential. So you're just kind of working until you're, you're done and then getting up and going again the next day, which is lovely. It's nice to get a proper run it concentrate on music for the change no absolutely i'm excited to hear it it'll, it'll be great fun um especially after such a long way off um it'll be, i'm excited to hear what you'll do um gavin is djing at the record factory on buyers road is yep. that right yeah it's yeah. 12 till 3 on the um on the 12th before the before the thistle rangers game and um it's like oh, it's the jacks foundation are, are running it but you don't have to be a member to come along um, it's just all, all Thistle fans and kids are welcome as well, so it should be a really nice, a nice pre-match afternoon. Especially, especially with the news about how many tickets have sold. That yeah, I think the idea was that they're trying to get as many people to go together and Kelvin Hall Subway, all the Thistle fans going together, sort of yeah. strength in numbers, all that. So having a lot of people there will be um, absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to. It. Oh, I said, if anybody has any tunes they want me to play on the afternoon, you can tweet at me on Twitter and tell me. So I definitely bring them along and don't have to embarrass myself by going, I don't have it here. Um, so shout, shout if you want a record. No, absolutely. And um, speaking of, you mentioned obviously pitch invading. If we beat Rangers, are you on the pitch? <laughs> I don't fancy getting arrested. I'm too old. I'm too old to misbehave. Uh, I'll be in the pitch in my head. <laughs> but no, but uh, thank you very much Gavin um, it's been a pleasure speaking to yourself good luck with camera scooters and your album and hopefully speak to you before the Rangers game cheers bye bye
Right, we'll finish as we always do with Partridge Thistle. This uh, Partridge Thistle question has been in the oven for a few weeks, David, after a, a chat we had on Twitter. So I think I'll leave you to then, David. I'll go to, to Reese and Jamie first uh, with their powder-puff answers, I'm sure. Who would be the perfect guest casting for Death in Paradise? I'll be stunned if Reese watched Death in Paradise. He feels like the most <laughs> unreached show ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, not, I've not watched Death in Paradise either, so... Oh, fucking hell. Can you? Are you just want to just head home then? Can you hear me? Uh, it's not it's very well. Muscle, but, yeah. From nineties Bosnia, aye. Hey, because I need to go somewhere, but I didn't want to miss the pod again. But um, you can miss me out because I, I don't even know that show, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no bother. <laughs> Catch you later, Richard. Oh, I've, I've got bad connection as well. Oh. Mate, I've, I've never watched Death in Paradise. I'm sorry. This is the dream scenario, Matt. Like, where Jamie and Reese fuck off and we just spend an hour talking about Death in Paradise. <laughs> so, I, I, I've only actually seen the odd episode of Death in Paradise, but I, I feel like I, I'm acutely aware of the the vibe of the show and the vibe of the actor that you need to, to be the detective. It's, 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 a, it, it's, like, it's like a Burnley player, isn't it? There's a yeah, certain vibe know. to them. Yeah. yeah, you you I, just I know exactly. I watch Stoke every week, but I knew what they were about. <laughs> I've actually, I generally have never seen the show, and I've got to go in like five minutes, so I will just let you start. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll keep this brief, David, right? Because nobody's going to listen to this. And uh, sorry, thank you, Jamie. Uh, enjoy your night. Right, you had a list, David, of of dream death and paradise guessing it said basically all doctor who's which I, I would counter by saying you're not wanting like matt smith or peter capaldi would be good you're wanting like paul mcgann the sort of silver fox with a bit of wit about him but he's, he's very good at his job he'd suit that sort of island aesthetic i think very nice uh so paul mcgann is my shout for a, a dream death and paradise casting I, I, I think it's a good shout. Uh, it's a very, very good shout. I'd have loved to have seen Tom Baker in Death in Paradise. Yeah. I think that would have been an incredible shout. Obviously, that's not happening. I feel that New Tricks is basically like, you know how like, all Watford players have played for Udinese and all Udinese players have played for Watford? I feel that New Tricks is basically the sort of the proving ground where you, you might get a Death in Paradise gig if you're if you stick around for them. I think anybody in New Tricks is a solid shout for this. Uh, has Alan um, Armstrong done it? I, oh, he must have been a he must have been a corpse at some good. point, or a, a, a husband who's like you try to cash in a life insurance or something like that. Or um, he, yeah, he's, he's absolutely written for it. But um, no, for that, my 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 dream one was um, Bill Bailey and or Dylan Moran. Either either would be amazing. Both would be the dream. Um, but yeah, but no, I, I feel that like because this all came from um, Nicholas Lindhurst, who's been cast in the new Fraser reboot, right? right. And I was like, where the hell is that came from? And then this kind of got this going of, we were talking about this. And I spent an hour with my wife talking about this. And then I said to somebody, oh, I spent an hour with my wife talking about who would be good for Death and Paradise. And that started another hour and a half conversation with him and his girlfriend um, about it. So it's it's something that's been, been boiling for quite a while. But no, I feel that... Again, new, new tricks is like it's like Aaron Morton to Fissel, isn't it? If you've done one, you can do the other. Uh, while it's just us, David, uh, we did discuss this on Twitter, and then friend of the show John 
uh, did suggest a series of topics that the two of us could have a conversation about. So I'll, I'll give some airtime to one. Um, who would win in a fight between Chris Tarrant and Noel Edmonds? And show your work. Oh, what a crowd. My, my, I, all, all I think of with Chris Tarrant is my wife fucking despises him. Like, what? absolutely fucking despises Chris Tarrant. Why? Like, oh, I don't know. Every time we watch Millionaire, nah. it's fucking him. Like, sure it's not like the new ones with Clarkson. No, no, she quite likes Clarkson. Oh, it's like, what a right. I mean, like, let's let's be. Isn't Chris Tarrant is like a love rat, sleazy sort of. Aye, but um, like on Millionaire, he's just perfect. He is, he is great in Millionaire. I, I do enjoy him in Millionaire. I can't say that in front of her to be fair, but <laughs> yeah, I do, man. I do. But um, Edmonds, I don't know, man. I mean, Noel's house party got cancelled because a guy died. So, um, he's got blood in his hands. He's seen things like I need. Allegedly, no, no. I think that's like confirmed that that did happen. But, um, oh, I mean, allegedly, no Edmonds has got blood in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. Have you ever seen Nose HQ? Do you remember? I don't remember that one. Um, it was like a Sky One sort of like Jeremy Kyle style show, and he went on an amazing ten minute rant at a council. Which is like proper, like you think he's got it. it, it usually, it's the sort of thing that the, the description would end with, and then he turned the gun on himself, like that sort of level of deranged sort of thing. Um, I know Edmonds uh, taking to taking to a council task is just the best piece of conversation. He's there's a dark side to him, one of the most fascinating people. Trust Tarrant and Noel Edmonds had a fight, and we definitely agreed the only location it could possibly take place would be outside an all bar one at about 2.30 on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. That's what's happening. Right? No, Absolutely. I think Noel Edmonds thinks he's hard and he would throw the first punch, but I, I just can't foresee a situation where Noel Edmonds could <laughs> knock Chris Tarrant out. Chris Tarrant's got that dog in him. He would come back and I think he'd finish Edmonds and that's all I've got to say in the matter. I think that's a good point because I was at, uh, Noel Edmonds is so batshit deranged that um, there's something like I mean do you remember that time he punted some sort of like mad alternative medicine bracelet yeah on on Twitter <laughs> and somebody said I've got like stage four leukemia and this does not cure me and he says well maybe if you didn't have such a bad attitude you wouldn't have stage four leukemia <laughs> and you're like right he's so there's, there's a bit of a madman about Edmonds I just, I just think no Edmonds is a fascinating fascinating man but I think you're right. I think Chris Tarrant would... He, he can surprise you. Like his, like his Barack Obama impression. Like, where where did that come from? Um, oh, and like... Exactly. So, no, I think you're right. I think, I think Tarrant would beat Edmonds. But, I mean... Edmonds is... Like, you know how Richard Madeley is, like, the nil plus ultra of Alan Partridge's yeah. in real life? Edmonds was basically... He, he, he always felt more Partridge to me. And then Madeley's kind of overtaking him. This is far more fun than talking about how much we want McCall sacked. I'm not oh, going to lie, yes. but... <laughs> See when we get beat 3-0 off Rangers in the Scottish Cup, will we just do, like, this for an hour? If we get Damon Gray in just to cheer everybody yeah. up and get ask him who he wants in as a de- detective for Death in Paradise. We'll um, um, right. yeah. <laughs> we leave it there for, for a week then. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> If you've made it this far, thank you very much for listening. And we will be back next week to look ahead to that trip to Ibrox and hopefully look back on an improved result this Saturday. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>